Hey there, and welcome to the Leap Podcast. Striving to meet the greatest challenges facing humanity, Leap is a global tech event and a platform for unearthing the minds of some of the most influential people on the planet. Join our conversations as we explore the pivotal role technology has in reshaping our world. Welcome to another edition of the Leap In Podcast series. I'm Richard Spur. Today's focus is on assistive technologies, social AI and policy, disability and human-centered algorithms, and more specifically, how disability and spectrum-centered algorithms and policies may serve everyone, including areas of health, education, social technologies. We're delighted to be joined by Jona Velka, serial technologist and policy observer, observing and contributing to the EU Commission's projects, as well as the group of humanitarian initiatives under yona.org. You are very welcome. Thank you for joining us. May I begin by asking about AI algorithms? They can be used to augment smart wheelchairs, walking sticks, geolocation, all sorts of different areas. But I wonder, how can social AI and robotics support individuals on the spectrums and the impairments? And, and what is unique about its adoption and its implementation? First of all, we have over 1.6 billion people with disabilities, including physical, cognitive, mental impairments. And until today, we use it for different capacities. But what is unique about social AI and robotics is the ability to use for cognitive and sensory impairments, such as autism, dyslexia, attention deficit. We can use it to support children with emotion recognition impairments or with difficulties and learning. We can use it for uh, uh, classrooms or as a part of a, a family environment. And what is unique about this, that it can be used not only by, by the child, but, by, but also by parents, by caregivers, by educators. And which why, uh, in order to properly adopt this technology, we should come up with the curriculums with understanding what type of skills, capacities, or interfaces uh, should be uh, properly integrated. Which why it's not only about uh, building the technology companies, but also uh, bioethics, educational professionals behind these companies who could work on such technologies and also cooperate with the public institutions for further improvement and progress. How does the ontology, the ecosystem of technologies like that look today? It's rather complex. Uh, this year, we had opportunity to cooperate with the OECD, uh, Organization for Economic uh, Development, and we created a repository with over 120 technologies, which encompass such things uh, as a social assistance, robots, uh, smart glasses with emotion recognition support, solutions which uh, support reading impairments, uh, dyslexia, uh, special training systems for attention deficit. We also have a, a specific platforms addressing workplaces, a more adaptive learning algorithms. So in other words, we have a, not just a one solution, but rather ecosystems which could support the student, the worker, or person with a particular impairments involving different type of stakeholders. So for instance, one of the companies I had the opportunity to work with created a specific uh, dashboard which accumulate 
uh, information about well-being of a child with a, a cognitive impairments, and we have a two dedicated interfaces, one for a parent and another one for the child. And also such ecosystem uh, can be connected to external wearables, uh, smart glasses or smart watches, connecting or uh, collecting additional data, analyzing it, making predictions or providing statistics about well-being and forecasting uh, of what we could add to this environment. How would you describe what's become known, Yona, as the assistive pretext? When I talk to people about assistive technologies, people ask me why it's so important to work on it. And it's, it's important to know that it supports not only individuals with the impairments or disabilities. So first of all, there are over 1.6 billion people with disabilities, but also approaches which we could use uh, for these groups of people, including assistive devices, accessibility solutions, also benefit everyone. For instance, generative AI-based approaches can be used to create digital accessibility solution associated with a speech-to-text or image-to-speech conversion. Uh, conversion. It may fuel accessible design interfaces, uh, adaptive text, fonts, colors, benefiting reading, visual, or cognitive differences. Uh, similar algorithms can be used to create libraries, knowledge, and educational platforms. In the same way, we also create completely new experiences, which could benefit everyone, which we called neurofuturism. It's then, for instance, we use AI biofeedback to support individuals with disabilities, and in which way we create completely new type of uh, arts, creative experiences. And, and after that, we could use this as a part of entertainment, uh, creative technologies, or new educational technique. And finally, since these technologies are quite complex in terms of curriculums and adoptions, all the findings, all of the explorations also could be used for any type of AI systems and algorithms. Help us to better understand what is the curriculum helping to adopt AI for uh, education, and that's why we cooperate with the UNESCO, or how to better adopt AI in healthcare, and that's why World Health Organization just issued the specific framework in it. So it's actually not only uh, support designated groups, but everyone, including better understanding of social and technical convergence behind AI systems and algorithms. Let us turn to governments, to policymakers. How can those sort of people better address research, investments and the adoption of the sort of technologies you've been talking about? So first of all, despite the significant possibility of AI support disabilities, uh, every condition is unique and it drives a lot of complexity. So for instance, as I mentioned, social assistance for autism may involve the child, but also the parent, caregiver, educator. Such technologies involve different interfaces of a data input. Uh, some disabilities are associated with the additional conditions, impairments, we call it uh, comorbidities, which do not exist in modern data sets or uh, scientists are not aware enough about this. Algorithms may not properly identify individuals who lack limbs or with the facial differences, asymmetry, speech impairment, different communication style or gesticulation. Uh, that's why modern approach to uh, supporting these technologies is rather complex. On one hand, we should make sure that they have a 
access to data because for many years these groups of patients were excluded from statistics which affected modern data sets. Also, we should improve our approaches to models because many AI models tend to be generalized to better serve a broader population, but it's not efficient for particular groups. Also, we should improve the system design. So, for instance, many public spaces, cities, uh, workplaces, or educational environments are not adapted for people with disabilities. And also, we should understand that we have a, a particular challenges for different type of machine learning techniques. For supervised learning, uh, we could introduce the bias through uh, human labeling. For unsupervised learning, through existing bias in uh, statistic and public data sets. Or for, for reinforcement learning through environmental driven bias. Which is why our actions is rather complex. We should work on AI policy in multi-stakeholder participation, better data in digital infrastructure, and cooperation or more specific guidelines and recommendations from both governmental and non-governmental institutions, which highlight that the nature of such technology is intersectional, modular, it requires adoption literacy and evolving skill frameworks, uh, and also we should create specific categories of risks in assessment. Well, following the Global AI Safety Summit, many countries, including MENA, Saudi Arabia, committed to the Bletchley Declaration Joint Framework, cooperation on frontier AI, foundational models, and it was allowed by the US Biden Directive on AI and the final deal on the AI Act in the European Union. How do these emerging regulations differ uh, and how do they affect assistive technologies and their adoption, their assessment? Yes, it's a very good question. So first of all, uh, the, the last year was uh, extremely intensive for all of us. The first uh, part of the year, we were focused on repositories of assistive technologies and what type of technologies could be invested and adopted across cities and workplaces. And the second part of the year was focused on these emerging policy frameworks. So on one hand, we all waited for a final deal of the AI Act. And also, there was a very important thing, is the Bletchley Declaration. And following the Bletchley Declaration and UK AI Safety uh, Summit, governments are looking to address a risk-based approach to algorithmic safety, focusing on areas, types, cases, and affected uh, populations. They form specific oversight entities, so-called uh, AI Safety Institutes. They work uh, on capacities, implementing a risk-based assessment. Different countries have the different approaches. Some are slightly more focused on facilitation and investments. EU is a slightly more focused on uh, regulation and protection and human rights. But even bigger tendency is a understanding of uh, algorithms as a part of a society. So, for instance, the US AI executive order require not only safety assessment, but also ethics on healthcare, labor market, uh, jobs creation. And by the way, uh, two years ago, when I had the opportunity to cooperate with the Saudi Arabia, it was also a big question how we could use AI not to remove the, uh, the jobs, but create the new jobs, new skills, new capacities, uh, and actually empower it. And finally, this work was uh, complemented with a non-AI uh, 
policies and frameworks, such as the UK Online Safety Act, focused on digital platforms and protection of young people. And there is similar uh, law in the EU called Digital Services Act. So we have a, this gradual work on both algorithmic and non-algorithmic uh, policies, which connect us to digital and AI technologies better. And can we focus on how not just organizations, Yona, but society itself, other institutions, which perhaps we haven't touched on yet, can themselves better shape the whole future of the ecosystem? Yes, it's a very good question. And it's specifically important for our area of assistive disability technology. So last year, we had important opportunity to cooperate with the World Health Organization, UNESCO and OECD. And we finalized the trilogy of reports, one focus on generative AI in health, another one generative AI in education, and finally AI in labor. Why is important? Majority uh, of the things in, related to adoption and research are quite specific for different areas, cases, group of people, which is why governmental frameworks are followed by efforts from multilateral agencies and institutions working on area-specific guidelines to address algorithms in areas of education, healthcare, labor, literacy, capacity building, which is why, for instance, there is an AI competence framework for students and teachers. UNESCO also set the minimum age at 13, then generative AI can be used as a safety measure. At the same time, there is a United Nations uh, agreement with over 193 countries signed their commitment to effectively implement children protection in the digital environment. In the same way, there is a work from World Health Organization, OECD, universities and institutes. We're actively cooperating with the AI Ethics Institutes in the UK, United States, EU, and emerging institutes of ethics are in the MENA region, creating this more accessible framework, which could be used not only by high-level governors, but by students, uh, technologists, researchers, and ethics professionals. Because as I've mentioned before, what is unique about assistive technologies is not uh, enough to have a technical people in your team, but also people with bioethics, medical, educational background, which is why we should work together, including these specific institutions and universities, to create these recommendations and guidelines. And I want to turn to LEAP itself and your in involvement. Your work is quite complex, as we've heard, and it encompasses technology, ontology, uh, policy, uh, cultural, social perception. What do you plan, I wonder, to present during your deep fest at LEAP? My goal will be to present this complexity, including existing ontology of assistive technologies, how we could use AI and algorithms to support everyone, every human being, including people on the spectrum, but also everyone, including workplaces, cities, uh, and environments, but also how we could adopt these technologies in the smart, efficient, and safe way. So I will not go too deep uh, into the policy, but I will provide the framework which is clear for everyone, for a citizen, for a technologist, for a researcher, for a, uh, companies which will use the DTS. It will be my vision to bring this accessible vision of our ecosystem. And during, after I'm sure as well, your session, how will participants be able to join this global cooperation, this work? Technologists, researchers, ethicists, governors, everybody. 
Currently, our work is definitely some kind of a global movement. We are connecting universities, institutions, governors, technologists. So my goal will be present how different type of these agents could participate, how you could participate as a technologist, as an entrepreneur, as an ethics professionals. If you have an educational background, how it could help you to create some interesting algorithms or systems or join uh, existing efforts. So I will show you this existing ecosystem, different roles, different contributions which you could do with, with us. And I will try to do it as intersectional as possible because now we're uh, working together with people from US, UK, EU, Asia Pacific, uh, MENA region, and we're all coming together to reflect all the pieces of this big historical and social picture behind medical, educational and work technologies. And finally, how will Saudi Arabia's ecosystem be able to benefit from this comprehensive work and what's next for the global cooperation? Two years ago, I had a fascinated opportunity to create the Global AI Summit in Riyadh, and we kind of started this assistive technology movement. I curated over 200 technologies, and some of them were exhibited. And we started connecting uh, global community to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia had some unique uh, research in the field of a diabetes, of some autoimmune disorders. They have a center for autism, and we started this comprehensive work between uh, algorithmic professionals professionals, scientists, researchers, medical professionals. So this year we will continue this movement with the new works. A few years ago we had just a few uh, startups. Now we have a whole portfolios, ontologies, practices of adoption, global cooperation with the UNESCO, OECD, World Health Organization. So now Saudi Arabia will be able to deeply benefit from this cooperation and also share the work in the kingdom, which is a very, very exciting and comprehensive. Thank you, Yona Velka, for sharing your insights on such an expansive subject. Join us again for another edition of the Leapin Podcast Series.